knows me. He has always known me. He shaped my heart to match his. Even when my heart wandered away, he remained true with his unrelenting love. Because of him, my heart is full. He knows me. He has always known me. And this is the greatest love story ever told because he pursues me. Praise God. Praise God. About three years ago, my parents decided to make the move from San Antonio, Texas to here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Now, they had lived in the same house for 40 years, okay? This is the house I grew up in, the house right there in in San Antonio. I mean, all our formidable years were spent there. We moved there when I was four years old. And so when they made this decision, uh, they called my sister and I, and they said, hey, you guys are going to be here for Christmas, you know, with the families and everything. And we want you, while you're here, to go through all your stuff, right? And so we're like, okay, you know, I mean, it's been there for a while. I've been here, you know, but... So we go home that Christmas three years ago, and I remember going through all of my stuff, right? And it's in a closet, and I'm looking through, and I'm finding trophies, I'm finding baseball cards, so I was glad to find those, and uh, holding on to those, right? And then I came across this box, and in this box, I opened up the lid, and there were all of my love letters, okay? These were like love letters from my elementary school and middle school. I have no idea why I kept these. I don't even know why they were there, but they were there. And and I opened it up, and I just started dying laughing, okay? So I'm looking at these. I'm pulling it out, and there's a note from, you know, Andrea and from Kathy. They were so well written, right? You were so fine, you know, and <laughs> you're so hot. And, you know, it's like, oh, great. You know, I'm glad we're going together. I mean, I just died laughing. I'm looking at these. And then there was a note from Kathy. And, and I remember Kathy. Kathy, man, she was my girlfriend in middle school for, I think we almost made 24 hours. Uh, but <laughs> I got up all the nerve for weeks and weeks, and I asked her to go with me, and, and she said yes. And then the next day, I didn't sit with her at lunch because I sat with the boys at the boys' table, and I had my oatmeal pie. It was only a quarter, and I sat there every day. And for some reason, she got mad because I didn't want to sit with her at the girls' table, and so she broke up with me. I'm like, wow, I didn't put all that energy in. I don't know what happened, and, and here it was. And, and there was a note in there from Kathy, right, and apologizing, and I was like, oh, well, it's too late, right? You know, so, but all these notes, and I kept coming back, and I'm looking through here, and I'm laughing, I'm just laughing, I'm laughing, and I finally throw them all away. And at the end, that Christmas, we exchanged notes uh, between Lisa and I, my wife, and, and my girls. And, and I remember being there on Christmas as we opened presents, and then that night, I'm reading through cards, and, and I thought, wow, the, how the depth of my love has changed. You know how I, I thought this was love in elementary school and in middle school, and now to see what real love is and to say, I'm committed to my wife, and I love her, and, and she's amazing. And I just thought about that growth process in my own life and how you learn what love is and how you truly grow. You see, we live in a world that wants to sell us a cheap imitation of love, right? And we live in a world that's, that's in love with romantic love. And we grew up watching Disney movies. Now I have three little girls, and so we got lots of Disney at our house, okay? It's Disney all the time. But it's amazing how Disney kind of sells you on this happily ever after, right? You find that Prince Charming, and then it's going to be happily ever after, right? There's no problems. There's no worries. You live in a big castle. I mean, it's just, you know, and you're going, 
that's not real love. And we watched, you know, romantic movies like The Notebook and When Harry Met Sally and all these kind of movies. They're like, oh, yes. Or we watched The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and we think, oh, this is real love, right? I mean, you know, there's roses and there's diamonds and there's all these trips and everything is perfect. <laughs> but we all know that's not real love. We all know that that's not what love really is. And our world will sell us that. And we fall in love with what the world says. And we look at our love sometimes and we go, well, it doesn't measure up to that. And that's really what it is. And God's going, oh, no, there's something so much deeper and richer. There's real love. There's real love. And that's what God is inviting us to. You, you see, this is the greatest love story ever told. And that's why this book is the number one seller every single year. Number one seller all time and every single year. Why? Because there's something inside of us that says, I don't want the cheap imitation. I don't want the elementary school, middle school. I want what's real. I want through the good times and through the tough times and through the hard times. I want what lasts. I want love. And God says, that's who I am. And I Love you. Well, welcome this morning to a brand new series. It's a series, it's our Easter series. It's called God's Pursuit of You. And I'm so excited about this series. Over the next four weeks, we're just going to talk about God's love. And we're going to see how God has been pursuing us. And that's what the Bible is all about. God pursuing his people. God inviting us into this beautiful love relationship that's real. And it's unconditional. And it's eternal. Love. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 27. Uh, maybe if you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online as well at YouVersion. Uh, we'll also put the scripture on the screen and you can follow along with what God's word has to say. But we're going to see Genesis chapter 1. In verse 27, so we're going back to the very beginning, right? We're seeing how it all happened, how it all started. And in verse 27, it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and to all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So when you look at this, and you begin to understand that God created us, and God made us. And if you go back here to verse 27, and we understand that you were made in the image of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, you have a capacity inside of your heart for love. Why? Because that's the way God made you. You were made in the image of God. Now, you can try to satisfy that with a lot of different things, and we always do. But what matters is when you and I begin to understand that we were made in the image of a God who is love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because what? God is love. It's the very essence of who he is. God is love. And so when you were made in the image of God, you were made with this capacity to love. That's why inside every one of us is a deep hunger for love. Right? And people who aren't even believers are far from God. Man, they're enamored with love. They feel like, man, it's all about romantic love. It feels like that's where I'm going to be fulfilled. Why? Because there's this capacity inside of us for love. You were made in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. See, God's all about relationships. If you go back to verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God is communal. Right? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. God is in relationship. And that's why you and I are, find our worth and our fulfillment in the relationship that we have with Him. I read a study the other day. It's, Harvard's been doing a 75-year study. So Harvard Research, and there's this big grant. They've spent billions of dollars studying for 75 years. And here's what they're looking for. What is the single factor to happy, healthier lives? That's their whole deal, right? What is the single factor that contributes to happy, healthier lives? And so they've studied from presidents to people in the poorest of the poor growing up in the United States. They've studied genetics. They've studied wealth. And they've looked at people from 1938 till today. And recently, back in November, they started publishing their results. In fact, a guy did a TED Talk, 6.5 million views on his TED Talk. What is the single factor? What did everybody wants to know? What is it to have a healthy, a healthy, happy life? What is that? What is that single factor? You know what they came down to? It wasn't about money. <laughs> it wasn't about fame. It wasn't about success. Here's what they discovered. It's relationships. I'm like, we could have saved you billions of dollars because God said it the whole time, right? I mean, this is what they said. They said it's about relationships. It's about what relationship, when you're in right relationship, you have a happy, healthy life. And we're like, really? Wow. Why? Because God created us that way. We were made in the image of God. That's why Jesus, when he was asked, out of the 613 laws in the Old Testament, what's the greatest commandment? What do he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You and I were created that way. There's a desire in us for intimacy. The Hebrew word for intimacy, if you go back, it's yada, right? And you can see that. It's how it's about Adam, yada, his wife. He knew his wife. There's an intimacy. But it's also the word that God uses in relationship with him. To know our hearts. And many times we try to hide from God. Many times we try to put barriers up to God. But when we are fully known with God. When we are fully ourselves, man, that's when we can become alive. Why? Because you were made in the image of God. The second thing we see here is this, is that you were created for a purpose. You were created for a purpose. Look there at verse 28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God created you for a purpose. Be fruitful and increase the number. If you talk to the Jews, that's the number one 
of the commandments and the 613 laws, they would say, that's it. You know, be fruitful and increase in number. But a relationship always involves two parties. A relationship always involves two parties. And God created us, but God created us for that relationship with him. Now, you know that. I mean, some of you, you've been in marriages before. You've been in relationships before. And you're like, man, I did everything, right? I, I did it all. I mean, that relationship wasn't working. Because a relationship involves both parties. And that's why God says, hey, you're a part of this. You were created for a purpose. You have a role to play in this as well. Have you noticed that work was given before the fall? Work was given before the fall. He says, hey, be fruitful, increase, and multiply, and subdue the earth. You know, bring it under control. You have a responsibility here. A, a lot of times we, we think work, and we go, oh, man, work. But, but work was given, why? Because there's something fulfilling about that. Now, we don't work in order to earn our relationship with God. And that's a danger. There's a whole works theology basis. Some of you may have grown up with this kind of mentality in your life where you thought, man, I just got to work. I got to do a lot of good things, and then maybe God will accept me. No, no, no. God created you. God accepts you. But you work because God has accepted you, right? Because God loves you. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not by works lest no man should boast. And so many times in our work theology, it becomes about us. It becomes about what we do in earning our way to God. And God's going, no, I want you. I want you to fulfill your purpose because I do love you. And I do care about you. And I do have a plan for you. See, as a dad, right, with three girls, I want them to do their chores. Now, I'm not going to not love them if they don't do their chores. I may be upset. I may be frustrated. But they're still going to be my girls. I'm still going to love them. But I want them to learn. I want them to participate. I want them to grow. I want them to understand the responsibility. There's a difference between religion and relationship. And a lot of times what we can fall into is this trap and make it about religion. It's all about religion and what I do, what I do. But it's not about what I do. It's about what he's done. And then because of what he's done, I want to do. I want to respond. I want to engage in that relationship. I want to do the things that please him. I want to do things that will bring glory to his name. I want to please my God. That is a huge distinction. Please don't ever miss that. You were created for a purpose. Third thing you see is this, is that God commits to provide for you. Then God said, I, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. See, God not only creates, God sustains. God not only creates, God sustains. And if you look at your life and you begin to understand, yes, I was created by God, but God has also sustained me. When you love someone, don't you want to do things for them? Oh, man. I love my wife. I, I want to take care of her. I want to make sure she's happy. I want to meet her needs. I, mean, I, I love my kids, and I want to do things for them. There is a God who created you out of the love in his heart, and there is a God who will sustain you. Now, that has huge implications. Because he's not a God that just steps back and says, hey, you figure life out. There is a God who is involved in you physically, emotionally, spiritually. There is a God who loves you. 
And when you and I begin to understand that, something changes inside of us. See, what happens so often is, is we have this idea of love, and our love is always conditional, right? You know, I will love you if you do this. I will love you if you respond to me the way I want you to. I will love you if you act the way I want you to. Then I will love you. Our love is always conditional, but God's love is what? Unconditional. God's love is, isn't that awesome? God's love is unconditional. God's going, you didn't earn it, right? You're not going to lose it. I love you. By the grace of God through Christ his son, I love you. There's a difference between that conditional love and that unconditional love of God. Where do you find your worth? Where do you find your value? What do you think about God's love in your own life and in your own heart? The fourth thing I want you to see is this, is that God made you for a relationship with him. It says in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now, if you underline, underline that word very, because we don't see that before. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and in the beginning, God, and what did God do? God created the heavens and the earth, and, and God created the lights, right? God created the sun and the moon. God created the water, the expanse. God created the animals. And every time he would say, it was good, it was good. It was good. But now when God creates man, when God creates us, he says it was very good. Here's what I want you to understand. God not only loves you, God likes you. I'm serious. God not only loves you, God likes you. I mean, we look in the mirror and we pick ourselves apart so often, don't we? We are our toughest critic. And yet when God looks at us, God's like smiles. It's like, I love the way you laugh. <laughs> I, I love the way you look. I, I love your nose. I love your ears. You know, you can think you have big ears, but I don't. You know, I love you. I, I love you. And I like you. I like being with you. I like spending time with you. I, I just like you. See, love is what separates Christianity from every major world religion. Every other major world religion worships a God who is impersonal, worships a God who is disconnected, worships a God who is unknowable. But Christianity is all about a God of love. Christianity is all about a God of grace. Christianity is all about a God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. Some people will say, well, we all worship the same God, right? We just call them different names. You know, religion says this, this religion. No, we don't. By the line, we don't. I mean, there is a huge difference between an unknowable God and a God of love. In fact, there's, there's one major world religion that the word love is not even used in their holy book. The word love is not even used for their God. I mean, that would never be a word that would describe their God. Our God is unique. Our God is the one and only. And our God is a God of love. A God who loves us and a God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. The other day I was praying, and, and you know, prayer is a dialogue, right? A lot of times we kind of have prayer as a one-way track, and, and God, here's what I need, and we kind of list it off. But the other day I was, I was praying, and I was kneeling down, I was just pouring my heart out, you know, to God, and here's what's going on. And, and then I stopped for a moment, and I, and I just said, you know, God, I love you, 
I do. I was overcome with this, just all the things that God's done in my life and the way he's been there and the way he's taken care of our family and the way he's blessed us. And I just said, God, I love you. And, and almost instinctively, you know how when you have your kids and you're like, you know, I love you. And they always say, well, I love you more. And you say, well, I love you more. And you, know, you kind of get into this game. And then so instinctively I'm praying. I'm like, God, I just love you. God, I love you more. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit, God just spoke and goes, no, you don't. I mean, honestly, it wasn't like I heard this audible voice, but it, I mean, I knew it was like, as soon as I said, oh, God, I love you more, and God's like, no, you don't, no, you don't, you don't, you know, and, and I was like, you're right, I don't, <laughs> I mean, I wish I could love you more, but I, God, teach me, and so I started praying that, just God, teach me, God, teach me to love you more, teach me to grow in my love, God, I don't want to have an elementary school love for you. God, I, I don't want my faith to be in the same place, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now or 20. God, I want to grow in the depth of my love for you because, God, I feel like you are loving me. And you are blessing me. God, you are working in my life. And, God, I want to grow in this relationship. I want my love for you to be dynamic and to be growing. Because if it's not, you know what happens? It grows stagnant. And it's what happened to Adam and Eve. And even though God made Adam and Eve and he created them and he put them in this beautiful garden and everything was perfect, what happens? If you move over to Genesis chapter 3, the breakup, right? The serpent comes along and says, Eve, did God really say you can't eat from this tree? I mean, come on. Aren't you tired from eating from all these other trees? Come on, what about this tree? Did God really say that? And Eve takes some of the fruit and gives it to her husband, and they sin. And before we're too hard on Adam and Eve, don't we do the same thing? A God who's done everything for us, a God who loves us unconditionally, and what do we do? We sin. And why do we do that? Why do we rebel against God? Why do we turn our back on him? Why do we chase after the things of this world? Why? I mean, why do good girls like bad boys, you know? I mean, why do we break up with people who are kind to us? Why do we, why, why, why? Is it fear? Is it wanting to be in control? Is it wanting our way versus his way? What is it? Sin. Bottom line. But the incredible news of God's word is this. Even from Genesis chapter 3 on, God doesn't give up on them. And God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on us. And even when we turn our back, and even when we do the things that we know are not of him, God continues to pursue us with an unrelenting love. I love you. I care about you. You are mine. That's the story. That's the gospel. And that's transformational. There's a book called uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. And it's one of my favorite books. It was written by a guy named Philip Yancey. And uh, I don't know if you're looking for a book to read, but, but I'd love to recommend it. And there's a story that he records in here. It, it's powerful. And I want you to hear this morning. He writes this, a young girl grows up in a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. 
They ground her a few times and she seized inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of a room after an argument. And that night, she acts on a plan that she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She's visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch the Tigers play. Because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that this is probably the last place her parents will look for her. California, maybe, Florida, but not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride and he buys her lunch and he arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. And since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally, she thinks about her folks back home. But their lives now seem to be so boring that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton with the headline, Have you seen this child? But by now, she has blonde hair, and with all the makeup and body-piercing jewelry she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways, and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, the first signs of illness appear, and it's amazing how fast the boss turns mean. These days, we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks at night, but they don't pay much, and all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside of the big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl in, at night in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and she shivers under the newspaper she's piled on top of her coat. Something jolts a memory and a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City when a million cherry blossoms bloom at once and her golden retriever dashing through the rows and rows of trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why did I leave, she says to herself. And the pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answer machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times. But the third time, she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there... I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it goes to Canada. It takes about seven hours for the bus to make all the stops between Traverse City. And during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and, and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so so she could talk to them? And even if they're home, they, 
They probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she's preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I, I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the pavement, rubbed worn by thousands of tires and the asphalt steams. She's forgotten how dark it gets out here. A deer darts across the road and the bus swerves. Every so often a billboard, a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City, oh God. When the bus finally rolls into the station, the, its air brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackling voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here, 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in her compact mirror, soothes her hair, and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips, and she wonders if her parents will notice if they're there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of a thousand scenes could have played out in her mind, could have prepared her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and the plastic chairs of the bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of about 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. And they're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home! And out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. <laughs> she stares out at him through the tears coming down in her eyes. And she begins her memorized speech, Dad, I'm sorry, I know. And he interrupts her, Hush, child, we've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet is waiting for you at home. Isn't that our God? Isn't that our God? In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our depravity, in the midst of our brokenness, God doesn't give up on us. And God pursues us. Just like this mom and dad putting on the back of a milk carton. Have you seen this child? There is a God who has said to us all of our life, from elementary school, to middle school, through parents, through friends, through pastors, through teachers, through inviting people to church. God has said to you and to me, I care about you. And I will never give up on you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do. See, here's what I believe. Here's the crux of it is this. I believe all of our problems stem from this one fact. Not that we don't love God enough but that we don't understand actually how much God loves us. And if we knew, if we just knew how much God really loves us, our lives would be forever changed. There would be a confidence that would come in. There would be a joy that would fill our souls and our spirits. There would be hope that would well up inside of us because our God loves us with a pursuing love. Do you know that? Do you live like that? God loves you. Maybe you're here today, man. You've just kind of been far from God. Right? You don't have that relationship. You've always thought it's about what you do. 
you're trying to earn your way to God. And maybe somehow if my good outweighs my bad, then maybe God will accept me. I don't know how it's all going to go down. But, but listen today, 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 today. You can know. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is with you and God is for you. Maybe for you, your, your love has kind of grown cold. You've forgotten your first love. And you're chasing after the things of this world. And yet today, God's saying, come on. It's all about me. I was doing some research and I found that the, the number one line in any romantic movie, the number one line of all time in the most romantic movie was from Jerry Maguire. And it was this line. You know it, right? Jerry Maguire, he's running after success. He's trying everything he can. He's trying to be successful. He's trying to have all the things in this world. And his life is spinning out of control. And then he busts back in. There's Renee Zoeinger, right? She's all these women are around. And he comes in the door and his lip quivering, right? He's right there. And he says, you complete me. Remember that? And she said, you had me at hello, right? But I think how often do we try to find things in this world to complete us? How often do we leave this God we, who loves us and we run after the things of this world just knowing that this boyfriend's going to complete me or this girlfriend's going to complete me or, or this marriage is going to complete me or when I get married again, it's going to complete me or when I have kids, they're going to complete me or when I get this job, it's going to complete me. And there's a God who says, no, 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 none of that will complete you because I made you and I love you. And the only thing that's going to complete you is when your heart, your life is in me. And you're growing in me. And you're falling more in love with me. That's the God who's here today. That's the God who's been pursuing you and will never give up on you. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Where are you today? What are you looking for in your life to complete you? Has there ever been a time in your life that you just said, God, I surrender all. I respond to your love and your grace. Maybe today is the day. Maybe the day is a day of salvation. Just say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Maybe for you, you you've been a believer, but honestly, you've just strayed from God's love. <laughs> it's become about what you do. It's become about the way you perform. And this morning, you realize, God, you love me. <laughs> you, you really love me. And not only that, you like me. Maybe today is the day just to put a stake in the ground and say, I want to grow deeper in my love. I want to grow deeper in my love for God. I want to grow deeper in my love for others. I'm going to invite some of our A6 men and their spouses to kind of move to the sides. And if you want somebody to talk with you, you want somebody to pray with you, this is just a response time right now. And you can get up in just a moment. We're going to stand and you can slide to the side and say, hey, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Maybe you want to pray over your marriage. 
Maybe honestly today you just go, man, there's some cracks in our marriage. I'm not loving my spouse the way I'm called to love. Maybe there's some cracks of my children. Maybe you want to use this as an altar, but let's respond to the Lord. Father God, here we are, your people. Father, I pray that we would know the depth of your love. God, we would understand that we chase after so many things in this world, God, and we turn our back on you. And yet, God, you never give up on us. And even this morning, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you are drawing us to yourself. It's not an accident that we are here today, God. You have brought us here to hear from you. And so today, Father, we want to respond in love. God, you can have all this world. We want you. So as we worship right now, as we pray right now, God, as people pray over us right now, I pray that this becomes a holy moment where we search our hearts, where we try to understand what we're looking for to complete us. And we say, God, I want it to be you. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for Jesus who gives us hope and salvation. While we were still sinners, you died for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we respond.